Titus O'Reilly here, once again annoying you with our shameless plug for Bazaar, plus our membership program, More Mick and Me. Simply go to the link in the show notes. It's Sports Bazaar. A trophy called the America's Cup. Come and get it. Come and get if it. If you think you're good enough. The hunt for the weirdest. It sounds like you're not doing your research. It does sound like that. <laughs> the problem is I have done it and don't understand it. <laughs> Strangest. Designed this ship to comfortably house a cow. Oh, stop it. Cow out the back. Most unbelievable. They launch him across the street by spraying him with the high-pressure hose. Stories to ever occur. Listed in the Guinness Book of World Records for the greatest ever photo. In the world of sport. He actually popularised Gordon as a first name. Which is a tough job. Tough. Sports Bazaar. Cavalcade of disgruntled contenders. When the boat sailed, the crew was still nailing down her deck. Then he turns up with something that looks like a bloody rocket underneath my cockpit. This is starting to freak out people like Dennis Cotton. It's time for the leaders of the hunt. This is a spa meeting, Mick. Grab your togs. It's Titus O'Reilly and Mick Malloy. Welcome to the uh, latest episode of Sports Bazaar with me, Mick Malloy, and of course, Titus O'Reilly. So, we've arrived. Here we are. It's been a journey. It's been an adventure. But we finally get to 1983 for our America's Cup series. This is it. Well, 1980, the Australians had lost 4-1. Yeah. And it had been a bit of a shambles. But Bond's challenged three times. He now knows what he needs to know. And he realizes if he's going to have any chance of ever winning this, yep. 83 is the year because sure. it's just so expensive. Now or never. Yeah. <laughs> now or never. And so he decides if he's going to do it, everything has to be right. New boat. He needs to get the right people in the right place. Yep. He has to do everything right. And he decides the first thing to do is he needs someone to head this all up. And he decides John Bertrand, who we've talked about many times, is the guy to do it. Sure. John Bertram will become skipper. And what was he in 1980? Remember, he, he got brought in to do the, as tactician. Tactician but they, and Ben Lexon's dirtied up yeah. and uh, there's trouble at Mill. There's trouble. So, But Ben Lexon and Bertram got along despite yeah. all that. So Bertram was going to be the skipper and in charge of it. Bond would fund it. Ben Lexon would design the design it. So all the key people are sort of in place for this one. They know they're... Their role. Bond rung Bertrand and said, I want you to be skipper. And he says, well, I'll go and have a quick think about it and come back. Bertrand comes back and he goes and rings Bond says, can I come meet with you in your office? And he comes in and he stands before Bond and he says, I would be honoured to accept your invitation to helm your new boat for a 1983 challenge in Newport for the America's Cup. Bertrand said he stood there for a few minutes dreaming of glory of the Mount Olympus we would climb together. (laughs) For a few seconds, he says he was overwhelmed by the sheer nobility of it yep. all. Bond looks at him and goes, and he's waited six months for Bertrand to say yes, goes, talk to my solicitor and walks out. <laughs> That's everyone staying in their lane. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That's everyone on point. So Bertrand, by this point, we've mentioned him briefly, but we haven't sure. really talked about him as a person. And we can say we're going to have him on tomorrow. So if you're listening to this when it Incredible. comes out, you and I sat down for an hour with yep. John Bertrand and that's going to be going out on the actual anniversary. Incredible. But to give you an idea of uh, what it was like, he's always been obsessed. So if you remember right back, his great-grandfather was involved in the Lipton uh, Shamrock Challenges. Okay. So, you know, he's literally got his great-grandfather on America's Cup yes. boats going way back. And he grew up very close to a sailing club here in Melbourne. Yes. 
And he used to go out with his grandpa's fishing boat and, and he'd sail a little fleet of toy yachts behind. Like that's how, like Connor, it was like from birth. Yeah, it was, he was, yeah, he was a man in of his the sea. veins. He was a man of the sea. By 1962, he was the junior champion of Australia in sailing and he became completely obsessed. He did a thesis for his engineering degree on the aerodynamics of the sails of 12-meter yachts. Okay. Very, very specific. It is specific. <laughs> I think he knew what he wanted to he do. He knew what he wanted to do. He then went to MIT to learn about the Americans, how they did sail design and get a master's basically in how sails work. I love this story. It's so full on. Like yeah. he's like, you know. It's not accident. It's no. not just throwing the keys to a yacht and he goes, here, you ever yeah. go. Don't ding it. <laughs> Everything. He'd even sailed with Dennis Connor to observe him. And he said, Dennis was obviously steering, was the skipper. Yes. And Bertrand, this is, you know, just offered to help on a few of the, you know, non-America cup races and the lead up. Dennis was smart enough to go, I want to observe this guy. Yes. Because Dennis thinks a bit better of himself than everyone else. <laughs> Hadn't really realised that John was observing yeah, him. Yeah, of course. And he noticed that at one point Connor did this really nifty move at the start line and just gave himself this very self-satisfactory smile. <laughs> and... Bertrand saw this as a big insight into him. He said, he's, he's I, showing his tricks. Yeah, he said, I realise at this moment that Dennis is a man who has to prove himself to himself all the time and he has to have his ego fed, although only he can really feed it. This is all part of his incredible drive. He also saw him as someone that you could be made to overthink and over-obsess. Right. And this becomes important in this okay. one, right? Uh, something to exploit? Something to exploit. So Bertrand's ready to go. Now, he puts a lot of rigour into the challenge. He's a details guy. Yes. So he's suddenly making sure the right people are in every part, the sales are right. He wants all the teamwork right. He got a sports psychologist in, which in 1983 was unheard of, you know, to have a sports psychologist. Yes. And he identified that one thing the Australians need to do is just actually believe that they could be better than the Americans. Yeah. So this is where the idea of the boxing kangaroo gets invented for the America's mm -hmm. Cup in 1983 as the sort of the yeah, spirit. Okay. Man at Works Down Under becomes the song. It's kind of like boxers entering an arena, yeah, wasn't it? But yeah. on water. That's so right. So they'd made a whole spectacle and there was all this energy attached to going out and sailing. But a lot of it was aimed, Bertrand said, at his crew. Yeah. To say, they're no better than you. We can beat these guys. Don't you worry. So with all of that, he says, he, he meets with Bond and Lexon and he says, all I need you to do is give me a boat. I don't want anything crazy. I don't want anything experimental. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. I want straight down the line boat design that just gets me equality with the Americans. It puts me in the hunt. Puts me in the hunt and then it's crew on crew and I reckon we can beat them. That's all I want. And he said the reason he'd done that is he knew he, and he wanted it reliable. He didn't want it like breaking apart. As it did in <laughs> subsequent it, years. Yeah. And snapped in half and sank. Yeah, we, that happened to one of Australia's later ones, didn't it? So, you know, he was very like with – and he also said this is his direct quote from Bertrand. Benny had designed some awful boats. So as much as Benny Lexham was a great designer, yeah. he tended to push the envelope and it yeah. could sometimes be a bit much. He said, Benny had designed some awful boats and for Alan Bond, he once designed a truly tragic boat, Apollo 3, a big 50-footer that may as well have been the greatest dog of all time. <laughs> and it was not so much that she would not go, she wanted to lie down and die. <laughs> okay, that's pretty solid criticism. Yeah, yeah, it's the, like... From the Bertrand camp. So he's not thrilled with this. So he says, that's what I need Keep to do. Keep it simple. Keep it simple and reliable. They're the two things I want, right? 
just it's a good brief. The problem was, and they didn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The problem was they didn't say it to him when he first brought this up. They agreed with him. Yeah. But Bond and Lexham before Bertrand had come on board. Yes. While Bertrand had been involved in a couple of the challenges under Bond and he'd yeah. been there under some of the Packer ones, he hadn't been quite as heavily involved as Lexon and Bond had all the way. Yes. Right? He'd definitely been part of it, but, you know, he, he was now the skipper. But they believe they knew more than he did about right. what the Americans were like and what was needed. And they had decided almost as soon as they lost in 980, Bond and Lexon had sat down and said to beat the 132-year-old hold on the cup, we need a boat with a wildly radical design. <laughs> <laughs> so Bertrand's going around getting the crew ready, yeah. getting everything standing right. And Bond has sent Lexan off to strategize. And Lexan comes back with this master stroke that turns the whole yacht world upside down. So a normal keel under a boat, uh. sort of wide at the top, it's like a fin almost in the water, but straight sides, a keel. Yeah. He decides to invert it a bit. It's thinner at the top, wider at the bottom, then has wings coming out on each side. So it's called the winged keel. It's revolutionary. Right? It's revolutionary here. These wings are big. Now, they show this to Bertrand <laughs> on paper. <laughs> How'd that go down? So Bertrand gets wind that they're up to something because he's like asking to see the plans for the boat he's got to sail. This is years out. Yes. He's going, where's the plans? Where's, where's the my plans? boat? Where's the designs? Because, yeah. you know, Bertrand's got a master's in engineering. He's sailing yeah. and engineering. He's an engineer in background. Yeah. It's not like a, a race car driver asking to see. Uh, he he literally, you, what yeah, me? what have you got me? He literally knows even just looking at the plans what's going on. He understands. <laughs> he's, not, he's not a moron, right? He's a very yeah. smart man. So Bergen says, Bondi finally showed me his precious new plans. He unrolled them and spread them out, and my eyes were riveted at these grotesque images of a new <laughs> concept in keel design. I nearly flipped. After all that I had told him, no gambles, no risks, no trick boats, just put me in there on equal terms. Benny turns up with something that looks like a bloody rocket underneath my cockpit. <laughs> Fantastic. So, so he's not thrilled, right? But Bertrand starts looking at it and they start doing some testing. And they actually go to the Netherlands to do some testing in some of the pools over there. They have sort of like it's equivalent of basically like wind tunnels, a wind tunnel yeah, but for boats, for right? Boats, yes. This causes controversy down the track because there's always been a bit of a thing. Oh, as no, you're not allowed to go to another country. You, well, that, you are. That was one of the You're rules. allowed to go and to do some of that stuff. You just The design can't come from the people over there. So right. there was a bit of a thing where whether the Dutch inventor or Ben Lexon invented it. My research and everything I've read is the one thing that kind of convinces me that Ben Lexon, I'll get this out of the way now, because there were sort of claims by the Dutch like 30 years later and the Americans at the time to try and get the wind kill banned. Yeah, muddy the water. Muddy the water is that they must have got some help from the Dutch engineers, not just in the testing of it, but in the actual design. Now, the one thing that's kind of interesting about this that I think is telling is there's quite a few documents from the time, telexes and various documents like that, that categorically prove Lexon invented it. Right. And so it's easy to come back there years ago and go, oh, actually it was us. But when you've got written proof from the time. I could see the New York Club taking that on the chin. Yeah, yeah, they were thinking oh, about it. Go about it. your business. <laughs> so when they're overdoing it though in there and they're testing this before they build it, it works. And Bertrand starts to, his engineering mind starts to go, okay, now I kind of right. see what you're doing. It's not as crazy as it was. And they all get big excited because here's an edge. Here's something new about it. 
but they're debating about do we actually build this. And the idea of it, it will be that the boat will be able to turn much, much faster in the water. Right. Right. That's the idea that's of it. That's basically the key. That's, that's the key that's of it, what yeah. what gives you the advantage with the wind kill. Yep. It almost like root to in place in the water so you can very quickly almost turn on a dime. And and so that's really what it is. It makes you, your turns very quick, fast, but almost in place. They still don't know it's going to work. They've got all the testing, but they don't know it's going to work. We all know now what happens, but at yeah. the time they didn't know. Yeah. And they're all looking at it. They're going, it's good enough that we could risk it. But Bertrand's also saying, it is a risk though. We know we've got boats that are very close to the Americans, if not equal. So they have to choose. They can't develop to it's like very ex- your standard 32 regular and this revolution. There are design. times when the Americans do this later on in American Cup races where they build several boats. Connors is the first to do, do this it, a few yeah. times and stuff. But it's very expensive. And so they had this long debate and Bond, and it was his money, just finally looked at them all and said, build it. And that was it. And Bertrand said that was the strength of Bond. He actually made the decision, we're just going to plow ahead and do it. Yeah. And they build the boat with the wing keel, name it Australia 2. So right. they now have a boat. Now, when they first take it out, they're actually going around and Bertrand said he first just goes for about a mile and a half and it's all fine. It's nothing exciting. Yeah. And he said, and then I decided to turn it around and sail windward. And at that moment, I knew something was afoot. Australia 2 did not merely turn or even turn fast. She ripped around faster than any boat I've ever sailed. It felt almost like a turn on a hairpin bend. She spun tighter and faster, her wing keel holding her magically almost on a dime. Here we go. So this is what we've got, right? This changes the whole tactics and techniques that the Australians can now do that no one else can do. Where are they doing this off Fremantle? No, yeah, they do it there and they race a bunch of ones in – Port Phillip Bay as well. Okay. So they do a bunch of different ones, testing it all over the place, but they're keeping it very secret. What's impressive about this is Ben Lexon in many ways didn't come up with the idea of a wing kill from scratch in that he didn't come up with like hydrodynamics overnight. Many people have looked at this idea roughly before, I've not exactly as he just toyed with it. He says that what happened is whenever they'd done it, they kept going and testing it. And the problem was as they tested it, they couldn't get it to work with the rest of the boat. Yes. And he said he just stuck with it longer. He made it work. Yeah. So a lot of them when they test other people had tested but similar ideas. First they tested it a couple when, of times and gone, yeah, yeah, you can turn fast but you can't go fast when you're going straight. Yeah. But he just said, well, I just kept tweaking and tweaking and I felt I had no other options and I just made it work. So uh-huh. that's how he got it. So then in 1983, there's seven challenges for the cup competing and it's the inaugural uh, Louis Vuitton Cup. And this is where all the international teams now officially compete to find out who's going to challenge. Yep. And it's all set up. Now, remember in the old days it was just you wrote a letter. <laughs> now it's fully from... I like those days. I know. They were good days. And there's rumours of this revolutionary new keel development. And so this is amongst all the people challenging. They're getting a bit nervous and so is the defender, the Americans. And Australia 2 just absolutely smokes the entire field in the qualifying to become the challenger. It just destroys everyone. So I've got to ask you at this point, are we still like got skirts around the keel now? So it's known by the time we get to the challenger series that Australia are up to something. They all think they've got something. The Australians, what they've been doing is when they pull it out of the water, they put 
effectively a, a skirt around it, a tarpaulin sort of thing they've made. So you can't see anything below the waterline even when it comes out of the water. They yep. attach it and then pull the boat up. Sure. They've also, for the keel itself, they've painted all the bits that have stick out that would normally not be on a keel yes. blue so and left the rest white. So if you kind of look in from the side, it looks or like the aerial or a helicopter's and they're doing all that. Yeah, it's not. Even if you send a diver down and take I a photo, it's, yeah. It's so it's total, total mind games. You've already got their attention. Yeah, they're already spending a lot of their energy trying to work out what the hell. Yeah, it's genius. So while this is all going on, while Australia Two is carving up the international competitors to become the official challenger, and everyone's watching it, going. This is an impressive boat. This is a really yeah. good boat. Something's going on. But none of them know what it is, right? They all suspect it's something to do with the keel because yeah. they can't see anything on right. that's that different to the rest of it. This is starting to freak out people like Dennis Connor. <laughs> this is important for what's going to come up. Yes. But Connor was so spooked, or the Australians are doing the Challenger trials, yes. or who's going to be Challenger. The Americans also always run and have for a lot longer than the internationals run Defender trials. Yes. Because that's why they often have the better boat than the internationals, yeah. right? So they're doing that too. Connor is so worried about everything to do with this that he actually does a deal confidentially with the New York Yacht Club. And what he does is he rates Liberty his boat with different sailing configurations, three different ones that all suit different conditions and got them all ticked off with the New York Lot Club to race. So, so what, what that means that is mean normally you go and say, this is my boat this and is they the measure it all. They make sure it fits with the ratings. Yeah. That's your boat. Does that, that include racing. the set of sails? That's everything, right? And that's all kind of public. He does this secret deal that says, I also want to ra- get ratings for, because you have to be officially ticked off yeah. it, the boat's legal. I want to set the boat up in completely different ways with different levels of ballast. With the idea that he will ultimately choose one or that he'll have three separate designs and over I, the seven So races. say one day he's got a rating for a boat that's set up for light conditions yes. and smooth sea, so he might have very light ballast in it. Yeah. And then the next day it's going to be really choppy, so he puts heaps of ballast on the boat, which no one else is allowed wow. to do. He's allowed to tweak the boat in between. I know what I know the about the New York Yacht Club. They would have said no... They Dennis, say that is not within the spirit of the competition. They say yes, <laughs> tick off all three. But he does this at, it, during the Defender trials against the other Americans. Are people aware he's setting his no, boat it's, up differently? No, it's secret. What is going on? Jeez. So when the Americans are going to start throwing dispersions like... at the Australians, oh, yeah. that's what Dennis Connor is doing, right? Dennis is getting he's basically, around the rules. He's got it's three a boats. He can pick one of three well, boats three depending boat, on the, the conditions. The same boat but set up three yeah, different but, ways. But I'm saying to you that's three different boats. Well, the thing is everyone else has always gone and just rated their boat, right? That's the way. He goes to them and goes, I can do it in three different configurations. And they go, yeah, sure. But they don't tell everyone else it's okay to do this. He's found a loophole. And they just keep it quiet like a gentleman's agreement between them and him, right? So are you saying he was smarter than... uh... Cotton was smarter and then you realised you got to go get your boat rated and ticked off to be legal to race in these races. 
But I would have thought what's that'd to be, stop that me going be public in, knowledge? What's I don't to think stop that should be me, secret between yeah, you and the race organisers? It's a New York Lot Club that kind of they they want Dennis to rate win, you know, they and they want him to represent them. They think yeah. he's going to beat the Australians, right. so they just do this deal where they go, "Yeah, we'll let you do that." Anyone else could have done it, but they don't tell anyone. When did this come public knowledge? Oh, not long afterwards. It was, but it was of, afterwards. Yeah, after the loss, it all comes out, and everyone started to say what was wrong with the defence. Jeez. So after all this happens, it works for Connor. <laughs> Liberty takes on Australia It keeps too. blowing my mind. Yeah, yeah. It's just the levels people will go to. So, yacht race. Oh, it's amazing. And so here's Connor's boat Liberty up against Bertrand in Australia too. These two, Dennis, Connor and John Bertrand have been circling each other as the top yachtsmen in the world yeah. for a while now at this point. And here you've got the Australians are now in their fourth challenge. They're ready to go. So we've through the challenge system. We're through. So it's the Liberty taking on Australia too. Connor versus Bertrand, go. right? So the Americans are still very spooked, even though they've now got the man they want, Connor, racing. Yeah. But they decide, well, why don't we – one thing we could do is we could launch legal challenges against Australia and their winged keel. They don't know it's winged, but what, whatever yeah, they've whatever's got. Whatever's going right? on down there. It drives them nuts that they haven't seen it. So we know they sent divers below because Bertrand told you and I that he caught them. That they, <laughs> they caught them. All Helicopters right. are above. Nothing works. They're losing their mind. So they decide to launch legal challenges. So they send people over to Holland to try and figure out if they can find any allegations that the Dutch invented it, not the Australians. They yeah. can't. Australia starts to respond with documents that prove they've got it. Yeah. The New York Yacht Club write to the ratings. People have already ticked off Australia 2 as legal and they reaffirm that Australia 2 is legal. Yeah. So the New York Yacht Club then write to the International Yacht Racing Jeez. Union to question the legality of it and ask for the entry to be disqualified. Wow. The Australians point out that, hang on, twice we've been rated as a legal 12-metre yacht by the body you said would be independent body that you said you'd accept their views. Yes. You've then complained to them again and gone and complained to a higher body yes. who doesn't have any say in this, yeah. by the way. So so the, the, this body doesn't have any say. Now it's all over the shop and, you know, what are you doing? The International Yacht Racing Union come back and c- concludes anyway that Australia 2 is eligible to compete and legal. So the Americans are losing their minds, right? They are yeah. trying everything. Even worse, the head of the British syndicate revealed that it's common knowledge that the International Yacht Racing Union has ticked off on wing keels. They all sort of know it's a wing yes. keel without knowing what it looks like. And so they're legal, so that doesn't make any sure. And then it comes to light that the New York Yacht Club, which has been trying to get this whole thing knocked off the boat, attempted to buy this design from the Dutch, one of the other defending syndicates. Really? earlier tried to buy the wing keel from the Dutch. Okay. And the Dutch said, no, the Australians have come up with it. And we're working for them. We can't sell it to you. So it becomes a bit funny when they're trying to buy it to then turn around and go to <laughs> and back, then outlaw it. Then ban it, right? They're like toddlers. They're behaving like spoiled children. So the New York Yacht Club at this point think this is the gravest challenge we've ever faced, right? We've yeah. got people who know what they're doing, like this wing kill that we don't know, but it seems very good and we can't get it banned. But it's still really up to the New York Yacht Club. So they actually have a meeting like a few days before. And they start saying, could we cancel this? Could we cancel, right, cancel the, the whole America's Cup? Or the challenge and the everything. We're not happy with how it's all going. Mm-hmm. 
do they need specific grounds? Or no, can they well, just go, you've you know seen what? before they've they've changed the rules before, right? They're not, you know, ultimately they, you know, they'd be laughed at, but they're kind of like going, oh, do we come up with some ways to, you know, just say this is not okay, which they have the power to do, right? They'd look silly, but they have the power to do. Alan Bond comes in and says, well, I'll sue you for half a billion dollars. <laughs> US. He's got his costs. He's like, yeah, his- I'll sue you. It's fine. I'll sue you. Like yeah. Bond's quite happy to go legal challenges. He's like, it's all legal. I'll, it? I'll sue you. It's a boat race. So they back down. They go, okay, we're going to do it. Now, part of all this happening at the same time and after this decision is the mind games. So the Australians are so angry the Americans have kept trying to ban them. They see this actually as a weakness. Yes. So they're going, we're no longer intimidated by this nonsense. You're weak. Let's turn the mental torture up to 11. (laughs) So as well as the boxing kangaroo, the anthem, the men at work down under, Bond had a big, huge launch, big luxury yacht that he would before races park out the front of the New York Yacht Club and pay men at works down under at the top of the volume, <laughs> right? So he just decides, I'm going to put, if you want to try and muck great. us around, I'm going to muck you around, right? That was yeah. the one thing Bond did very well. He'd also turned up to this challenge with a golden wrench that he said he would use to unbolt the cup from the plinth <laughs> that was tied. So the Americans had the the cup tied down, yeah, like bolted, right, down. bolted down. So he had this gold wrench that he would walk around with mm-hmm. and say, this is what's happening. I've got this already. This is what's going to untie it. I hope so, the Dutch didn't design that wrench. <laughs> That's so, hilarious. Yeah, so he's absolute. The Americans are just losing their minds. But around the wing keel, the Americans, after trying to ban it, and trying to work out what to do, it was still driving them nuts. Roran Jones, who was Bond's right-hand man and campaign manager the America's Cup, said the interest in our boat and what was below the waterline became intense as the New York Yacht Club pulled out all the stops to pin down what we had. We turned into a positive and reduced the pressure by playing games with the New York Yacht Club. He says they were really quite a mess psychologically. <laughs> He said, we hid the keel so the Australians who arrived in Newport, Rhode Island with their nether regions completely covered by modesty skirt. And that was like taking a Christmas present home, stashing it somewhere in the house and saying to your kid, I've got your Christmas present but you mustn't look for it. <laughs> so they knew. There's even arguments that they could have potentially just shown it and it still wouldn't have mattered. But the idea that the Americans were tearing themselves no, apart. No, 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 that's was, w- yeah. torture. He said, if you do that, hide the present from the kid. He said, he'll tear that house apart to see what it is. They, the New York Yacht Club and its defence favourite, Dennis Connor, didn't like it at all and they started to knee-jerk doing dumb things like adding wings to their existing keels without uh-huh. doing us the credit of acknowledging that whatever it was we had down there, we had a lot more sophisticated than tack on wings. Now, one of the reasons they were trying to, the Americans were trying to hang wings in the practices right. before the races to their own keel, yes. right, thanks to Ben Lexon. One day he walked into Warren Jones's office and he had a drawing of a keel which had a wing on it. Right? He says, Warren, we've got to plant this. <laughs> so Warren said, okay, let's go over to the Newport offshore office and photocopy it and leave the original in the machine. <laughs> Tell me this is true. Yeah. So that they did. And then an hour later, they go back to the Newport offshore office and go, we've left a document, a very important document in the photocopy. You have to go get it. You have to go get it. Anyway, the person comes back and they all come back all innocent like, oh, is it this one? The next day the drawing was in the Providence Journal newspaper. 
and a short time later, the Americans are fasting a set of wooden wings based on the design <laughs> onto Connor's freedom, which is a, sort of a trial boat he had. It's not the Liberty, but it's so they're testing That's it out on so another fantastic. one. Fantastic. Yeah. Bill Trenkel, one of Connor's key men, confirmed what the Americans were up to. He said, while we were fitting a wing to the bottom of the keel of freedom to see if there, were anything, any, there was anything to the idea of having a wing on the bottom of the keel acting as an end plate, Ben Lexon came over and was watching us with a big smile on his face. <laughs> Someone asked him what he thought of our wing and he said, looks to me like more wetted surface on which to grow barnacles and walked away <laughs> laughing his head off. He was right. The wing was very slow and we took it off after one day of testing. <laughs> so this is all the stuff that's going yeah, on, right? It's, it's totally low. The America's Cup's actually started. Yeah, the, yeah. The boats the, aren't on the water. They're on the water. It started. It started. Bertrand's decided that the Americans have beat him. It's all a mental hurdle, right? So all these mind games are playing into yeah. this, right? He's like, my guys need to look over to their counterpart and go, I can beat that one guy. Yeah, That's what he's all saying. That's why he's got the psychologist and all that. He also says he had read the story about Roger Bannister who'd broken the four-minute mile. He said that couldn't be done until he just did it. He didn't worry about what the rest were doing and I just followed that. He said just like the four-minute mile, once Bannister did it, heaps of people then did it, right? They he was it like, was possible. possible. Someone's climbed Everest. Yeah, he it's was like, climbable. exactly. One, he said once I can, if I can do this and my crew can do it, everyone will then probably beat him because and it's just, and it's been true, been right? Proven. Pretty much. So Bertrand actually practiced how he'd handle himself during press conference with Connor and the media. He practiced what he'd say and do so that at all time he would just portray the image of an incredibly confident man, that he was just totally in control, not phased by anything, and he did it and drove Connor nuts. Yeah. Because <laughs> Connor hated So we're up to the races, right? This is where the races are happening and we've covered all the history now of why this is 132 years, no one has won it. In Australia, America's Cup, because we've challenged four times, is now front page news all the time. It's a big sporting story. Huge sport. Australia's gone through terrible, bad economic times in the early 80s. The country's divided. We'd had Whitlam into Fraser. You know, Australia is very deeply divided politically. Its economy was shot. We were in a dangerous drought. Yep. All these terrible things were going on. We had new Prime Minister in Bob Hawke and Paul Keating, sure. who had just started. And we'd also only won nine medals, none of them gold, at the 980 Moscow Olympics where we boycotted. Yes. And we'd only won five at the Montreal Games four years later. So we were like... Haven't been covered in glory nothing. of late. So everyone is desperate for some good news. Yep. And the Americans trying to ban us and all this stuff going on and bond over there with the boxing kangaroo and yep. men at work down and stuff has just got this whole Australian population just watching this. Yeah. They're getting up to watch it every night. It's on television live. You know, this is before yeah. internet, papers wall to wall. So we can't capture how much it means at the time. It was huge. I remember. You know? I said it was like the Matildas build up recently. Yeah. But imagine that and it went on and we had yeah. won the whole thing, yeah, you know, correct. like and it was maybe even more because we were at such a low ebb as a country. So race one starts and Australia 2 is in the lead and her steering gear breaks. Her spinnaker collapses. She can barely sail. Yeah. And she still only loses by a minute 10, but it's a big problem. Sure. And this is partly what Bertrand had been worried about with the revolutionary idea. Yeah. Like, so they're down one nil before we've even really got started. Race two, Australia's two's main halyard comes unlocked. A 
and the head of the mainsail rips off. So this is okay. already, they shouldn't have even been able to sail, but they managed to with their other sails still lose by minute 33. Minute 33. Americans gaining a little bit of confidence. Yeah, yeah. we're 2-0 down. So this big challenge that had Connor and everyone so worried about, yeah. the Australia 2 has not got through a race without something breaking. Yep. It's looking bad. Okay. <laughs> race 3, the Australia's win, but the time limit expires because a race must be finished in 5 hours and 50 minutes and the win doesn't count. Of course it doesn't. It's a win. So Australia's win. Now, in fairness, that is one of the that is just right. true, right? So, so technically they win, but it takes too long to race at all, and it times up, and the win doesn't count. So it's still two nil. Race three's run, and Australia two wins, keeps themselves in. Here it's we now go. two one. Race four, Connor and his team sail an absolute perfect race. Every wind shift goes their way. They don't make any mistake. And still they only win by 43 seconds. But now the Australians are now down 3-1 in the series. And wow. basically they're in real trouble. Like it's just looking like if they, they have to win every race from here or yep. they're over. So Mood in Australia is oh, well, it's, funeral. Yeah, hearts it's like, are sinking. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. no one comes back from solemn. this really. Yeah, solemn. Australia 2 win the next race by 1 minute 47 seconds and this makes it 3-2 and they become the first challenger since 1934 to take two cup races in a series. There we go. So everyone's like, okay, well, this is good. Then a malfunction by Liberty in the sixth race helps Australia tie the score and suddenly it's 3-3. An exasperated... We're back, baby. A reporter in the Augusta Chronicle wrote, who are these brash, nut-brown sailors from the bottom of the world who dare to seize the lumpy old silver ewer, which has not left the United States in 132 years? Uh, the Americans are starting to get it's on. very annoyed. So the seven race is on. Whoever wins this one this race, it. it's this is it. This is the one where all everyone Everyone's punched around the TV. Absolutely. Early. It's dubbed the race of the century. Now, the media attention in America and Australia is just off the charts because this is 132 years, longest ever sporting yeah. winning streak. You know, this is just huge news. Yes. It's big news in England because England have challenged so many times. So huge it's interest in attention. this. The crowds all gather. There is a huge crowd there out on the water and just around any vantage point that can see this around Rhode Island. The two crews have really built up a good rivalry here liberty sails from the dock to the tune of the rocky theme <laughs> australia to return fire with men at works land down under so yeah. they sail out moments before the showdowns to begin the americans call for a lay day postponing the race 24 hours due to light winds the australians call the decision a disgrace and remark they can't run forever they've got to face a someday on what grounds did they ask for a lay day? not enough wind well, why don't we run it like they the think one we did? They think and Australia 2 does better in the light wings. So, well, the New York Yacht Club would have had none of that. None of that. So they come back. What do you mean? They, they, come they back got to, a lay day. Yeah, they got a lay day. <laughs> so they've delayed it. Finally, the 26th of September, it's on again. And it's shown live in Australia against just before dawn, watching parties held everywhere. I can remember going to one yeah. as a kid, sleeping and getting woken up for the actual... Sure race you know as, yes. as a five-year-old it was absolutely huge connor and his crew they like the conditions it's monday afternoon over there they really like the conditions right 
all of Australia, the legal challenge, the wing kill, Bond's glamour and everything, the comeback to get it to 3-3 means in Australia the whole country is yeah. nuts. The race is ready to start. Now on that exact same day, and we didn't know this too much later, a Soviet military officer, uh, Petrov, averted a possible nuclear war by correctly identifying a US missile attack warning in Moscow as a false alarm. But that wasn't the most important event that day. No. That was this. The race started and the Australians start incredibly poorly and they are looking way behind. It looks like it could almost be over yeah. before it starts. They recover and they start to get back in it and suddenly it's on and the lead changes three times. But then Liberty get ahead and they round the final windward mark with a lead of 57 seconds. Oh, Bond is so sure it's over. He goes down to the cabin of his ship, the Black Swan, and he actually gets called back onto the deck because Australia 2 is gaining on Liberty. Bertrand's decided he's going to split the course on the downward fifth leg, which basically means he goes one way, Connor yeah. goes the other. They're not Here racing side by side. See you at the finish line. And he catches a breeze and Australia 2 start rapidly making up ground. But they're still far back. Australia 2 begins to get close to Liberty and they try to start stealing Liberty's wind by getting in the way. And Australia 2 starts to work. It's in the way of the wind and is blocking Liberty. They then get really just caught in trying to jibe against each it's other. So one maneuver. makes a move, the other makes a move. But the way it's coming is it's going well for Australia. It is gaining ground every single moment. Connor says later, two quick jibes and we paralleled her on port jibe. Then as if using a propeller or those trick wings on her keel, the boat started sailing lower and faster than we could. In the final third of the run, to the last mark, Australia 2 is suddenly getting in there with Connor right side by side. The boats are literally getting closer and closer. They do one of those drives where one boat's going the other way. Yes. The other ones, they almost crash and it's getting incredibly nervy. But then suddenly the Australians are a boat length clear and they've seized the command. They're in the commanding position in terms of where the wind is and where the buoy is that they've got yep. to go around and they're parallel with Liberty. And so in a space of 4.4 miles, Australia 2 has taken 1 minute and 18 seconds out of the Americans and leads by just 21 seconds with one leg to finish. Dennis Connor utters annoyed, does anyone here have any ideas? <laughs> but Connor is not, Connor's not some loser. Connor is right. an amazing captain, skipper. So he's down, but he starts to say, well, we're only just behind them. So he decides on the last leg to launch what is a stunningly aggressive set of moves. He tacks 47 times against the Australians and each time the Australians have to yes. meet every tack to try and tactically keep him out and bet the best position. Exhausting. Now the thing is, at any point, straight to only you need to make one mistake. Yes. And you and I know because we've spoken to John Bertrand directly about mm. this and there'll be more of this in tomorrow's show. One mistake and straight to over. are stuffed. Yep. So this whole thing comes down to these last 47 tacks My as the God. Australians match Connor on every single one to try and keep their position. He's not going quietly. He's not going quietly. And they sail it absolutely perfectly. They do not let him pass. And they go past the committee boat and the gun is fired and the America's Cup <laughs> has become the property of the Royal Perth Yacht Club. 132 years of history, the longest winning streak in sport is over. I've got goosebumps. And the place absolutely erupts. 
Incredible. Australia 2 is boarded by Alan Bond and the rest of the team and chaos ensues. The America's Cup is <laughs> finally going to be unbolted from the New York Yacht Club and it's in the most dramatic race that the America's Cup has ever seen. The Australians celebrate this victory with a ferocity usually reserved for the end of a war. <laughs> we get the great quote from Bond which said, this is Australia's greatest victory since Gallipoli. <laughs> <laughs> There's an old urban legend at the New York Yacht Club about an old Commodore who was long ago asked, what would be put in the display case of the club if someone lost the America's Cup? And he said, the head of the losing skipper. <laughs> a ceremony is held after the race and John Bertrand says, I'm pr very proud, I feel very humble. He raised the trophy alongside Ben Lexon and Alan Bond. They all raise it together. Bond has invested over $16 million in four attempts to get to this point, which yep. in the 80s and 70s money is a coin. lot of money. Amid all these wild celebrations, there's great images online. It's nighttime. There's champagne going everywhere. Incredible having a ball. Bond ordered Australia 2's wing keel to be revealed and the boat's lifted up, this time without its spottacy skirts. Yep. And there it is for all to see the upside down keel shape it's just an amazing image the australians joke ben lexon says they're going to get the cup and run it over with a steamroller and rename <laughs> it a, the america's plate <laughs> in the background as the boat's been lifted out and the wing keels being shown dennis connor quietly clambers across some diggies in the background in tears because yeah. he's just a broken man because of it millions of revelers aussies have stayed up throughout the night back home in australia yeah it is going absolutely nuts, car horns, everything. The nation is absolutely loving it. Prime Minister Bob Hawke, he's drenched in champagne. He's at the Royal Perth Yacht Club. Yes. He's been up all night. Yeah. He's had a few. He's in a white Australia jacket. Like it's a white yes. suit jacket but with Australia written. You've seen this yeah. and the map on Which it. Which he's put Australia. on over the top of another jacket. It's insanity. It's bonkers, right? He is absolutely loving it. Yeah. Just having a ball. And someone says to him, all the media keeps saying, can we have the day off? Can we have the day off, Prime Minister? Because it's <laughs> Monday morning. Yes. Over can we have the day off? And he famously says, any boss who sacks anyone for not turning up today is a bum. <laughs> Famous. <laughs> Famous moment. That should be on our parliament house yeah. or something. In a more sober moment, Hawke and President Ronald Reagan exchanged telegrams of thanks and congratulations. So, you know, they're quite honourable, the Americans in this part. Connor sat under TV lights just being absolutely torn to shreds by the American press. Sure. And tears streamed down his face as he spoke. But he said weirdly, that touched the Americans more than when they used to win. He said, I used to get a couple of letters after defending because he successfully defended in 1980. He got about 100 letters, he said. After losing, I got tens of thousands of letters. Wow. And he obviously comes back to win it of uh, course. in 88. Did he ever have a moment with Bertrand? Did he ever go and shake hands? Did he ever get off the boat? And yeah, I think they were. I, I they don't mention that, but they got along well enough, you know. They were pretty. There's a lot of respect. A lot of respect between them all. At the White House Rose Garden, President Ronald Reagan and Vice President George Bush, a senior, formally hand over the American Cup to the Australians. Australia award Alan Bond the Order of Australia, the AO, for distinguished service of a high degree to Australia or humanity at large. That's how much it means. Yep. Now, this brings us really to the end of the story, but Bond would find trouble in the future, like 
a lot of people would know this, but some of the younger listeners probably wouldn't know. His business empire collapsed in the early night, sure. late 80s, early 90s. He's over leveraged. He's borrowed way too much money, which was his strength in building it. But it was his whole business in, plan, wasn't it? And this is when interest rates got up to like 18%. Yeah. So we, we talk about him now, but it was like, it, you know, he was found that he had a company that was listed called Bell Resources yes. that he had control of, but he was moving $1.3 billion from that into his own privately owned company which is a big no-no. Yeah, you can't do that. He went to jail where he taught other prisoners finance. Because <laughs> <laughs> he had his own university. That, that's the university, yeah, yeah. Bond University. Bond University is named after him. Absolutely. He died on the 5th of June 2015, age 77. Lexon died suddenly in Manly, New South Wales on 1st of May 1988 of a heart attack at 52 years of age. He always says it wasn't genius the wing kill it was just incredible hard work and bond willing to yes. put the resources about it he was very very modest he said everyone always assumed it wouldn't work and said about proving that we knew it had to work or we couldn't win so when the tank test and the computer said it wasn't fast we went back and tried again and again until it was he said his proudest moment ever was that he never laid a hand on Australia 2 from the time it arrived in Newport until the day the Cup was won. They got it right the first time, which is unprecedented wow. in the history of sailing. Yeah, yeah. In 1989, the Toyota Lexan was released by Toyota <laughs> Australia in Ben Lexan's honour. It was a rebadged Holden VN Commodore. Yep. A lot of us might remember that. And, of course, John Bertrand, who we're going to talk to tomorrow, he goes on to be head of Swimming Australia and a, a very accomplished business Absolutely. person. Admired. Now, many people believe that taking the wing keel out of the water during the celebrations was a mistake. A lot of people have raised that over the years. By revealing the keel, the Aussies in one swift move gave away the edge that worked so hard to obtain, the IP, and the rest of the world caught up instantly. And it may have cost the Aussies the cup in 987 when Connor won it back. Ben Lexon in finishing up. Did he win it back with the wing kill? He had a, a, a much more advanced using some of that technology. Oh. Yeah, it had moved on obviously a bit. But no, so some right. people have said it was a mistake doing that. It was going to happen. Well, I don't think you can keep well, I think a that, secret for three years. Well, that's years. right. It's very hard to know. But let's leave it to Ben Lexon maybe to have the final word on this. Sure. Ben Lexon was asked if he ever regretted showing the kill. No, he said. How could you? It was such a wonderful party. <laughs> and Brilliant. that is how the Australians won the America's Cup. It's been a magnificent journey. Thank you so much for taking the time to research that and enlighten us. There's so much lurking under the surface. We know the headlines. We've got a fading memories of the time. Mm. But the level of detail in this has been extraordinary. And uh, we thank you very much. Titus O'Reilly. Well, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to another episode of Sports Bazaar. If you'd like more Sports Bazaar, Join our membership program, Bazaar Plus, and one of the key bits that people are loving is you get an extra episode every week. Here's a short outtake from our bonus episode. I found this story about uh, Nico Rosberg, the uh, yeah, F1, F1 racer. racer, you know, so he's retired now. Yeah. So he was 2016 world champ, as you would know. Yes. He does TV work now. Yeah. So he was being interviewed for, ahead of the Hungarian Grand Prix and there were – being interviewed by three junior go-karters. Right. I don't know if you remember they used to have that on the coverage where they'd get, you know, up-and-coming Yeah, that's where you, most, most of them started. Yeah, so they'd get them to interview an F1, like okay. interviewing their hero kind yeah. of thing. So Nico confided in these three children on air 
that his nickname at Mercedes was Britney due to his long blonde hair, as in Britney Spears, right? right? And it's well known that Nico hated this nickname. Right. But he says to them, you know, they used to call me Britney because of my long hair. And he said it was not cool. And he says it on air, like, comes across as he's very angry. Yeah. He's, yes. st- he's still bitter about it. Why would he bring it up? Later. Well, exactly. And then a few minutes later, he says, well, it's time for the interview to finish. Hmm. They're wrapping it up. He's about to go off and race. He was still racing at this point. And, the, and so one of the kids goes, good luck, Brittany. I hope you do well. <laughs> right? right? That is gold. Right? No, but wait. So Rosberg stops and he turns back and hissed to the girl whose name was Scarlett. He goes, no, Scarlett, that was not cool. I share a secret there with you guys. That was not cool at all. And so Scarlett just looks at him like for a second and then goes, thank you, Brittany. <laughs> Scarlett's evil. <laughs> Scarlett is very confident. Yeah, so on end, Nico just stares at her furiously for a moment and says, please apologise. And she stares at him for a while and then goes, sorry. And he walks off. Sorry. Brittany. <laughs> if you enjoyed that, simply go to the link in the show notes to sign up to become a member.